Startup Life, Entrepreneurship, Innovation. Welcome to the Started at KBC podcast. Hi, my name is Laura Lumengu, and in this episode, I'll talk to two members of the Started at KBC community about their startup life and tech, the core of their business. Hilde van Brent will join us. She's the co-founder of Idalco. They create tools for agile teams like Exalate, a synchronization tool for issue trackers and task management systems. I don't know what that means either, but stay tuned and let's find out. Johan Vos will join us too. He's the co-founder of Gluon, a Java technology company that makes existing backend and cloud systems of organizations mobile friendly. NASA, yes, you heard me well, is one of their customers. So, um, Hilde, what is your passion? So besides your startup, what drives you in life? Yes, I've been thinking about that. <laughs> well, in general, you can say that I'm a person who likes new things in general mm-hmm. uh, and unknown things. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I like to travel a lot mm-hmm. because uh, then you get to meet a lot of new stuff, new people, new cultures, new food and so on. So um So that's one of my passions in general. Uh, closely related to that, yeah, traveling, cooking, it's a little bit traveling as well. It's uh, like uh, exploring new tastes and so on. And, uh, and I probably, you, uh, I can bring that back, uh, looking back uh, to my career, that I've always tried to do new things, mm-hmm. uh, explore new things that after a few years, I'd say, okay, I've, I've seen that, I've done that, I want to move on to something else. So And also innovation then, because innovation is also yeah. Yeah, new, yeah, 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 yeah. new technologies or new... Um, yeah, I really like new technologies. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yes, it's probably related all. Ah, yeah, nice. Johan, how about you? Um, I'm very interested in um, um, uh, science, nature, physics, um, and um, the combination with, between uh, science and uh, uh, and IT. So recently, I'm uh, um, quite busy with uh, uh, AI and quantum computing. Uh, especially, I think uh, um, I'm giving some presentations on quantum computing. It started just as a, well, as a spare time project, but um, I now wrote a quantum computer simulator in uh, uh, in Java. Um, it's not something I don't think quantum computing will be very important in the next three years, but the moment that it becomes real, it will be real. And it's going to be extremely exciting. It's going to turn the world upside down. So, so how is it li- linked then to quantum physics? Is it the same, but then for... The computer, <laughs> or yes. how do you? Yeah. <laughs> a quantum computer is uh, uh, is based on uh, quantum physics. Mm-hmm. So on the fact that um, in a classical computer a bit is zero or one. In a quantum computer a qubit is zero and one at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that means that with uh, two bits you can have four states at the same moment, and that sums up very uh, very fast. So quantum computers will be able to uh, to solve completely different problems than classical computers can do. So do I hear like a second startup you're gonna start in quantum computing? Um, Maybe in the future? Who knows? We're actually combining it a bit. We're uh, we're working on a prototype for a quantum computer simulator uh, with with a uh, user interface that you can uh, play with on mobile, desktop, tablets, embedded, and that do the heavy computations in the cloud. So the combination between embedded and cloud has always been something that, uh, something very interesting uh, to me. Cool. So when did you take the jump and started entrepreneurial life? And what do you specifically do actually at your at your startup? I think my first try was uh, without uh, me realizing that I was doing something entrepreneurial. But um, when I started my PhD in, I think, 1996, I needed a language to visualize uh, physical processes and to do heavy computations. And then I looked into the Java language, which was very new then, um, but that didn't exist on Linux systems. And I had a Linux Spark station at work. Um, you were probably the only one. Well, at, at that <laughs> moment, there were maybe five or six uh, people in the world. But um, And Sunset, well, for those for those few people, we are not um, interested in, in doing it. So we decided, let's do it ourselves. So with a group of people, we ported Java to Linux. And if you look today, there are 12 million Java developers. Most of the enterprise services run on uh, uh, Java and most of the cloud 
um, servers run on Linux. So it's extremely popular. Um, and um, we did just a technical thing and we didn't earn anything with it. We got a glass of champagne at the Java One conference <laughs> and a big round of applause and that, and that was it. But um, I actually did something similar a couple of years ago when um, Sun Microsystems had a great uh, client technology framework called JavaFX. And when Oracle acquired Sun, um, they acquired all the assets of Sun, but Oracle is, well, it's a database company with uh, applications and so, and they're not interested in um, uh, client uh, software. So they are not continuing that part, but um, it was already great when Sun did it. And the team that created um, uh, JavaFX asked me, well, with your history um, with uh, um, uh, porting Java to other platforms, why don't you continue uh, this idea? And um, then I said, well, yeah, that's uh, um, from a technical point, it's extremely challenging, but is there, is there a business value in it as well? Yeah. And then I realized um, that um, in order to be successful, so not just repeating what we did 10 years or 20 years before, there needed to be a business uh, uh, story as well. Yeah, a business model. Exactly. Yeah. And that is what, um, what I combined with uh, looking around me. Um, I see so many IT projects failing. Mm-hmm. And especially now, mobile uh, and embedded is getting so uh, important. Many companies invested heavily in uh, uh, backend systems in, in, in Java or .NET, and they want to have their um, functionality on mobile as well. Well, actually, they don't want it, but their users are really begging for it. We need this functionality on mobile. And um, then is, there's a panic mode in companies because what well, mobile, we don't, we don't know uh, mobile. And most of those projects uh, fail. They're outsourced, written in um, non-mature technologies, um, by people who don't care about the security uh, inside the companies and so on. So that uh, there's really a big problem with uh, um, uh, security, um, privacy, and so in IT in general and in mobile to enterprise in particular. So combining, <clears throat> combining the need of the enterprises where they want to extend their um, enterprise offering in a secure way um, that is stable, that respects the privacy of the users, combining that with the, um, the software that um, was available and that we mastered, led me to the idea that we should um, put this in a company and build products around it so that we can not only help um, our own customers, but if we build a product that other software companies can use to create uh, end applications, then we can have a much bigger market. So are you then still building on the products or mostly building on the company? Because it's two different things. Well, the good thing is that the products are in an uh, excellent shape already. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a great team of uh, excellent uh, people. Um, I, I still prefer to work on the products, to be honest. Um, but You're um, a real techie. Yeah. yeah. But I, I also do realize that the bottleneck of our company is not in the products. It is in the um, yeah the whole uh, entrepreneurial aspects around it. You need to have the sales, the marketing, the finance, the legal, um, the, the support, everything around it. And that is that is um, um, to me as a as a techie much more difficult. Um, but it, it's extremely important. Without this, there's no uh, company. Do you feel the same way, Hilda? That uh, the company. Um Yeah, that building a company, you need to build a company in order to build, the, uh, to bring the products that you've built to your customers. Yes, yeah. but uh, my, I'm, I'm just interested in building the company as yeah. well, uh, because uh, I work together with yeah my co-founder, um, who is really the product, the tech guy, mm-hmm. he's the architect of the product as well. Um, and I'm more like maybe a company person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like it to build the company around the product mm-hmm. and then see that the product gets to the right markets. Mm-hmm. So my background is more into business development. Uh, although I have a technical background, I do understand <laughs> our customers and, and, and the tech. I even can talk to the tech guys. Uh, you speak the language. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in our companies. <laughs> but, but, um, uh, but I do like uh, to set up the, the operation part it's like uh, setting up support reaching out to customers see how we can do campaigns and so on so that that really drives me and how did you start with Idalco 
Yeah, actually, I only started a few years ago because, um, uh, and, and that's after, yeah, already a rich career in uh, large IT companies where I had a chance to learn a lot uh, on internationalization, on globalization, on product marketing, marketing, uh, working with tech teams, but also working with sales. So um, those were in large IT organizations. Uh, until a few years ago, I had something like seen there, done that. <laughs> and uh, I thought, yeah, I really want to start up something on my own and uh, use all my knowledge uh, and, and build out and let the company grow by, my, by, by, by myself or by the team that we built it, uh, built it with. So, um, yeah. Yeah, okay, nice. Um, did you have some hurdles that you faced with your startup in the beginning that you had to overcome or maybe not even in the beginning right now some difficulties yeah maybe apart from yeah the most difficulties that uh, companies uh, or startups uh, are faced with the most difficult thing for me was to balance my time between um, very operational things and really interesting strategic long-term yeah. uh, uh, things that we that that you have to do you're a startup you're only like a few people and uh, this means that everybody has to do everything mm -hmm. I mean uh, yeah you can divide the tasks a little bit but uh, you need to do everything uh, administration operations and, and so on so uh, for me that was very difficult because uh, you know operations they always require direct attention yeah. because it needs to be done there's there's a problem you need to, it needs to be faced it's ad hoc and at yeah. the end it's ad hoc and mm -hmm. at the end of the day there's most of the time there's no not a lot uh, time free anymore to 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 use for your yeah more interesting things mm -hmm. so that that was for me was was a very difficult thing uh, now we've grown a little bit, so we, we we scaled a little bit, and so we have a little bit more reserve and a little more other people who can uh, take up the more operational tasks. So now it's getting a little bit uh, more interesting also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how big are you right now? Well, uh, we're 24 people now. Uh, half of uh, that is um, mainly product development. So really making the products and maintaining and giving support and so on. And the half part is doing services and sales and marketing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So you want for you some hurdles or difficulties that you've faced with your uh, startup? Yeah, I, I, I recognize uh, 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 the same uh, hurdles actually. Uh, you have only uh, 25 hours in a day. <laughs> And uh, you need to use them uh, uh, wisely. Um, you also need time for yourself to sleep. Ex ex yeah. ex exactly, yes. Yeah, yeah because um, I really believe in Mensa Sana and Corporate Sana. So the, yeah. the better that you feel yourself, mm -hmm. the better that you mm -hmm. uh, can, can, can work. I actually spent quite some time on my tax uh, uh, trainer while watching presentations. So I try to stay in a good health yeah. while, while working. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's maybe advice to a start life hack. Start. A good yeah. life yeah. hack. Yeah. Um, um, we have many different uh, um, uh, types of users that ask us: uh, um, uh, Would your product product be a good fit here or there? And um, because we're not, we don't have a, a B2C product, but a B2B product. So we create software that other software companies can use to create end products, and that means that. Um, that can range from healthcare over finance to um, uh, something with AI and so. And, but it also means that we have to make choices. Are we going to create a compelling demo for this or for something else and or for something else? And mm -hmm. before you realize it, you're spending months in something and then all of a sudden you say, so who would be the customer uh, for this? Mm -hmm. So that is something that in the beginning of a, of, of a startup, you often, um, yeah, you lose yourself into, oh, this is interesting. People are very interested in it. But who is actually the customer who is going to pay yes, for it? Yes, and you run after each opportunity, you know. Somebody yeah. asks something, it's like, oh, you've... Oops, there's some, somebody interested. Yeah, we can do that. And the developers, uh, it's typically for developers also. Oh, yes, it only takes one yep. hour, one day, and it's fixed. But then, of course, where does it fit in in the bigger, in the bigger picture? Yeah. That's something we have to mature in as well. 
So yeah, that's yeah. interesting that everybody has those types of. <laughs> the thing is, yeah, you're opportunity seekers as well because of you started course. a startup. Mm -hmm. It means that you saw an opportunity and you you grabbed it. So, but you also have to contain yourself a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, maybe someone in the team can help you with. Someone who's not a like a opportunity seeker per can mm -hmm. help you to ground down a little yeah, bit okay. on, okay. on that. <laughs> um, so Hilda, is there someone who had like a tremendous impact on your startup journey? Yeah, of course. Uh, the one person uh, is Tada, the other co-founder, of course. For me, that was very, very important. So we are like a duo uh, who are very complementary. Mm -hmm. uh, he being the, yeah, more the tech guy. He has the ideas. He has. He builds the architecture of the product. He also is uh, steers the development team, work with them together, and so on. And uh, that's interesting. And I'm more on the business development side. Mm -hmm. So uh, try to speak to the customers try to also translate their needs, uh, bring that back to the product team and so on. So I think we're very complementary and um, and although this seems obvious, it I do think it's very important for a startup to to have yeah to come to uh, the different parts, the business part and the tech part, uh, because I think it's important to to have uh, to make a company and to have it grow. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, exactly. So yes, that's the one person who who. So how did has you two? Highest, how uh, did you two meet? Uh, actually, we're a couple. Ah, okay. <laughs> so I started the company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it's obvious. So it's my life partner as, as well. So yeah. uh, in life and way, business partner. Life and business partner. And it was in the beginning. I thought, no, I'm never gonna do this because it's uh, I don't want to mix it up and uh, mm -hmm. it may end up wrongly. Mm -hmm. But uh, actually, we grow. We have grown a lot into this situation as well. So. Um, Yeah, ah, it's cool. okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it does. It can work. It can <laughs> yeah. work. Yeah, but there are some <laughs> other um, female founders that I heard from that have set mm -hmm. up companies with their uh, life partner, which are actually going pretty well. So I think maybe sometimes it's a bit of a cliche that we think that it doesn't work. Yeah, because there are some successful examples of it. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yes. So yeah. yeah, so you are someone who has meant a lot for you and your startup. Actually, that's uh, funny because um, um, I was thinking about. Uh, um, or, um, I, I'm mainly looking for feedback in um, areas that I'm non-competent at, uh, which are uh, non-technical areas, um, like sales, sales, for sales, instance. Yes, yeah. sales and marketing, and so. But um, um, I think there are some some, some people that I. Uh, contact every now and then that I admire a lot. And one of them is uh, Bruno Loagi. He's the founder of iText. Um, 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 they create a um, PDF software. Um, and um, they sold the company a couple of years ago. And um, he's now a uh, yeah, good entrepreneur. And uh, um, um, and the, the funny thing is that um, he had this company with his wife. So it's voilà. indeed, uh, uh, voilà. it seems to work. But the one of the main reasons why um, uh, I, I like his uh, uh, feedback is um, he went through uh, similar stages as I did. He worked at the University of Ghent. And in his spare time, he wrote software, open source software for doing a, a PDF, uh, a generating PDF from Java uh, uh, code. And um, open source software is uh, um, fun to work at, but it's also difficult um, because people expect um, not only the source code for free, but also your support uh, for free. And that is something we are in a difficult balance. We try to make everything what we do open source and free for developers to use because those are our friends, but we also uh, need to make a living. So we need to ask money for premium features or for support. And that's often um, uh, many people uh, and especially big companies and big governments don't understand that. Uh, and um, they um, can be very rude and impolite and uh, uh, call the uh, software uh, developers out um, when they are not doing everything uh, for free. And so that, that is a phase that um, we had with Gluon and that I knew Bruno had with iText uh, um, uh, as well. So uh, many of the things, for example, VCs, 
Um, do you need to go for VC funding or not? What, are, uh, what do you have to um, be careful for? How do you know someone is um, a good match uh, with you? And there with um, Bruno, who went to the same project, mm. um, he, he gave me real good advice. So, yeah. um, so he's a good mentor for you yeah he's he yeah he he's a successful uh, uh, entrepreneur yeah. and um i think for everyone who is successful there are 10 others who failed mm -hmm. so i prefer um looking at his example and asking him for feedback because i i don't want to fall in the pitfalls that the other 10 would fall into yeah, yeah mentorship is very uh, very Absolutely. important yeah yeah, yeah. so um well we're talking about like uh, in this episode But most people uh, uh, on the streets or even here in our uh, startup in, uh, accelerator, they don't get turned on by the hardcore tech side. However, the consequences and the possibilities of it, we're all using it. <laughs> um, they are actually very spectacular. So do, you, do the use cases of the technology make tech more tangible for people? And could you give an example of your own? How, can you explain to me what exactly do you do based on a use case? Mm -hmm. So what what we are doing is actually pretty boring to uh, to most people. My, my family doesn't know what exactly we are doing. What we are doing is we are enabling enterprises and companies to extend their enterprise functionality to mobile and embedded. And that sounds okay, good. Well, actually, it is important because um, I'm frustrated that so many projects fail, so many IT projects fail, and people take it for granted or oh, running over budget. Uh, we don't have uh, uh, the full scope, so be it. So they take that for granted, and that should not be the way. It, it, it can be different, and that is actually what our core product tries to do. Mobile um, extensions to the enterprise should work, and they should rely on the safety features, the privacy, security, and so of, uh, uh, of Java, which is language that's used by 12 million developers. So that is the core thing that we try to, to achieve, giving those enterprises control over their mobile uh, backend, the mobile cloud. But that is um, that's interesting to, um, to development, to software companies, but it's abstract. Mm -hmm. And the, the thing is, you can, you can create many things uh, on top of our uh, tools. One of the uh, nice things that I've seen is uh, what uh, the, the, NASA, uh, the NASA guys uh, have built. They, have, uh, um, they occasionally launch uh, satellites and rockets uh, to space for missions, for exploring planets and moons and so. And once you launch a satellite, it's, it's not easy to control it. So it's not like, hmm, well, let's send it here, uh, let's make a left turn, and after uh, two billion kilometers, let's make a slight right turn. It doesn't work like that. Um, the traject, the traject of, a, uh, of a satellite depends on uh, the gravity of uh, all the other um, solar uh, elements. And uh, in order to um, estimate the best trajectory, NASA uses a tool called the Deep Space Trajectory Explorer mm -hmm. that allows them to visualize how a satellite would uh, go and, and to, for example, see that if we launch it a little bit later or slightly more to the east, then it might have a close encounter with, uh, a close encounter with uh, Mars. Uh, and then we can make another uh, uh, orbit uh, there. And then if we change this, it might go there. And um, all this planning is extremely heavy computations and it requires extremely great visualization. Mm -hmm. And they use our tools for doing the visualization on PCs, laptops, but also on tablets and on phones. And the heavy computations are done in their cloud uh, systems. And our uh, software makes sure that um, the mobile part works and that it talks with the, uh, the cloud systems. And that, that is, I think, something pretty visual, uh, uh, visual and visible. The other um, area that's uh, um, relevant, uh, relevant to people and very visible is uh, um, AI uh, mm -hmm. software. Um, and we're working on uh, prototypes with a great company called SkyMind, um, where we um, do some uh, visual recognition on mobile phones. So you're just walking around with the camera and the camera thinks, oh, this might be a car, for example. And uh, uh, it tells you that it's a car, but maybe you want to correct and say, no, that's not a car, that's a bike. And you correct the model and there, uh, and by doing so, it becomes smarter and smarter. Mm -hmm. And we are working on some demos that hopefully should be out in a couple of months that, that are really blowing your socks off. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, that's going to be very So visible. how would I, as a n normal person, how would I use that? 
Um, in in um, many cases, uh, you have uh, apps on your phone and those apps, um, they need to get smarter and smarter. But by, uh, the typical way of for uh, apps to get smarter is by sending all your data to a backend system where your data is processed. But today, if there's one thing that we realize that people don't want it, that their data is being sent to third parties. So with something what we call distributed learning, your data stays on the phone. Mm -hmm. And we retrain the AI model on the phone because it it will get better and better, but your data is not sent to a server. The images that you are taking are not sent to the server. The only thing that is sent to the server to improve the general model is what we call the gradient, which is just some numerical um, uh, thing that cannot be reverse engineered. So the server just sees some some numbers and the server knows that, well, based on this, the model seems to be better for this person. And if enough people are using that, the model will become better. And you still have your privacy. Your data is not leaving your phone. So for my understanding, if I see someone uh, with a beautiful bag, I can take a picture from it. Um, I can send it through my Zalando app and they can see, oh, yes, we have this bag here for um, for this price. But actually, the data will stay on my phone and Zalando will get something encrypted and will use it that way, but it's not that I'm sending my pictures or something. That is that is indeed one of the uh, one of the possible uh, scenarios. Yes, you choose what you share or not, yeah. and it's not that all the data that you take because if you take a picture of a backpack, there might be someone else in the background as well whose face is sent to to a server and who might might complain. And those are really the things that we will worry about in the the future that we're actually worrying about uh, today. Yeah, I can I can understand. So, um, Hilde, for you as well, do you do you feel that you need to create a story or a use case if you want to pitch your business to me, for instance? Yes, of course. Um, we have a product which is called Excelate. It's also positioned in what we call the B2B. So we sell to more technical profiles uh, for which it's it's easy to explain the product. It goes very fast. But for uh, to explain it, like, for example, to my family or to my friends or uh, in this podcast, for example, we always use a little story. Uh, Storytelling tell- always works. Mm-hmm. Also, when you when you tell it in, uh, when you want to use it in marketing campaigns or uh, even in demos and so on, it always works. So our story is uh, the following. Let's say you have, an, uh, you have a problem with your internet. Could happen. You phone your internet provider and there's a nice guy or a nice lady at the phone who is trying to help you. Uh, what What will actually happen is that she logs a ticket into a system uh, and she will try or he will try to find a solution for you. Now, if the problem stays in the same company with your internet provider, there is probably a process behind it where people or engineers or dependent on the problem itself, of course, will try to solve your problem. Hmm? Now, the problem starts if there is like another company involved. For example, a company that your internet provider is working with hmm? and they have to escalate the problem to the other company. By the way, escalate, exhalate, that's where the name comes from. Now I got it, yeah. (laughs) So the problem is exhalated to the other uh, side. If it's another company, nine out of them, they have their own systems. They work with their own ticketing system. Uh, Now, if those systems are not integrated with each other, uh, what do people do? They phone the other company, they send a mail, uh, and the problem is typed over into the other system. There's no link between the two tickets anymore. You as a customer, the next day, uh, when you call back and you say, hey, what's uh, what's the status of my problem? The engineer is there and said, okay, now I have to call the other company again to ask for the status and so on. So uh, information is uh, not uh, updated. So the the system we built is, uh, or the ambition we have is to connect with Exalate millions of companies together, uh, their ticketing systems together, so that information can flow uh, freely 
wherever you want. Eh? You, you, there's security with it, of course. Uh, you, you you still have to control what you what you share and who you share it with. But the ambition uh, for Exalate is that we connect. Uh, a lot of companies so that they can easily do uh, collaborate together, co-create things together and so on. Yeah, that's really in an understandable way, non-technical way. Mm We, yeah, that's what we learned uh, also during this, the whole startup phase. So whenever we had to explain it to a non-technical public, uh, we always try to explain what an issue tracker was and what this was and that one and ending up with people staring at the, <laughs> at the walls to say, well, what's this? So we came up with this little uh, storyline. Yeah, that's yeah. a nice one. Johan, you were talking about your, uh, your customers, um, NASA, and what was the other company? The, uh, the, the AI, AI stuff we're yeah. doing that with uh, SkyMind, that, that, that's yeah. a partner company from So US. international customers, how do you... How do you do that? Is it uh, do you always have to travel, or is it all online? Uh, well, most of most of uh, the communication in in our sector is done uh, online via phone calls, um, um, uh, Skype, uh, Zoom. So that's that's the typical um, way of communicating mm-hmm. in our sector. Um, for um, between developers, we like to have some face to face meetings every now and then. Um, but um, for talking with uh, customers and uh, users. Um, and actually, it's something that I recommend for um, everyone who is interested in uh, technology. There are great online forums, for example, Stack Overflow. That is the place where um, if people ask us questions, we direct them to Stack Overflow and we, we tell them, can you ask that question on Stack Overflow? Because there everyone can see it and everyone can answer it. And if the next time someone has a similar question, they will find that uh, uh, first question and they will also see the answer to that uh, first question. So it's beneficial to the users, but it's also beneficial to us because there are many questions about our technologies that are being asked on Stack Overflow. And we answer some of them, but we prefer others to answer our questions. And doing so, we also know um, which um, developers are uh, aware of our product and are knowledgeable uh, about it. And that's how we can hire people. We typically hire people that answer the most questions on uh, Stack Overflow in a a correct way, of course. So if you're looking for uh, technology uh, uh, for people with knowledge about a particular technology, I would definitely recommend looking at uh, uh, Stack Overflow for the most knowledgeable uh, person. So actually, there's a there are online communities from developers, and that's actually the best way to get into touch with them. Yes, that is that is where um, you can see um, how 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 much alive a technology is. If there are many questions, then it means the technology is alive or is very bad. Because yeah. many yeah. questions, but that's typically the um, yeah where you find the the experts about mm-hmm. the technology. So Hilde, your customers are very international as well. The onboarding process, how how does it go for you to to get the to get them really in? <laughs> to, um, yeah. Well, we try to reach out so we, uh, to to our customers via different campaigns. We do. Um, we use the ecosystem of the. Uh, how do you say the the vendors we work with? Like for example, Atlassian has a, a whole ecosystem uh, where their apps are promoted. Uh, so that's a way that where customers can find us. Uh, so they have a problem. That's a way where customers can find us. Uh, typically, the onboarding process then is that uh, either they start asking us questions uh, via the support channels or via the live chat, for example, is something we we found out it. It's, it's very good for engagement and we try to move them to a demo mm-hmm. where we give an online demo yeah every uh, we are not localized uh, localized in, in in the US or uh, out of Europe anyway so uh, we do everything online and that works very well it takes one hour to demo the product and then we start a conversation afterwards if they still have problems uh, uh, with the product actually uh, an evaluation um, period starts, a free evaluation, so they can freely uh, try out the product in their environment. Uh, and then in the end, we try to engage with them as well and see if we, if we can f- convert them to a customer. That's actually a typical. But there are quite some cases also that 
a customer never reach out to us, they just find the product on the web, they find the manual or the, the documentation, they download the free trial and they buy the product. So that's easy. <laughs> it's easy, but, <laughs> but still we do what we are now doing is trying to reach out to them anyway, because we want to learn about how they use a product, uh, what they, they find out of the product and so on. So that's, uh, that's a little bit the process. So another question for you, Hilda, um, because you're working with, um, with you're creating tools for agile teams and um, the agile method exists for a while now. Do you think that there's there are some new trends or is it still the way to go for software development? Um, or are there maybe new methods arising? Well, agile, agile methodology is indeed uh, coming uh, from the software development environment. I did ask my developers <laughs> this question, say, hey, do you see new trends coming along? And they said, no, no, we still do Agile. Agile is the way to go. Of course, Agile has been evolved over time as well, uh, coming from a real Agile thing. What does Agile do? Agile is tries to concentrate you on uh, putting a, a large problem into smaller problems and then start working on the, on, on the smaller problems problems and then uh, move on as as, um, as you go. That's more or less what HL uh, should be. Um, you should be surprised how many companies are still reaching out to us to help them evolve from older methods to what is now called the HL methodology. The more interesting part also is that HL moves out of the software development sphere as well. Hmm. Now you have agile project management or agile in the business, like building agile organizations, for example. Exactly. Agile being exactly agile, which is yeah. called yeah, Wendbar in, in Dutch, mm -hmm. but uh, it's it's being a little bit lean and mean mm -hmm. and being ready to change very quickly or react upon uh, new situations or new scenarios coming along. So do you see that the, the yeah the lean startup methodology it also is based from the agile I think a lot of a lot of these things are related of course eh? because typically as a startup you need to be or you are lean and mean and you still have to learn a lot about the market so you need to be agile to change your processes even your products very easily to new situations or to different needs coming from new customers for example uh, so agile is still uh, very very important yeah, yeah i think so i think so so um before we move on to um the final part of this episode where we ask some questions that are coming from the started at kvc community i actually would like to know from both of you how did you learn about started at kvc and then what what in particular did you get out of the community that took your startup to the next level that took gluon to the next level um well the funny thing is that um We learned about KBC um, by some of our uh, users um, and uh, a, a company that does training in the US and they give trainings uh, about uh, uh, our technologies. And um, they said, well, we know someone in uh, Belgium and uh, you need to talk to her because we talked about you and she's uh, very enthusiastic about uh, um, uh, what you're doing as a startup. And um, that, <coughs> that was a community manager of uh, KBC started in uh, Leuven. So, Um, it's funny and also not because that means that um, we went all the way to the US in order to find a startup uh, hub in uh, uh, in Belgium. Um, now the 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 relevant things for us is uh, um, uh, that, as I said, we don't have much uh, competences in legal um, HR and so on, and uh, that is something that you can learn at uh, KPC Started um, with the workshops and with the um, with the network. So we now know um, a few legal companies that we occasionally ask for advice. And um, that is that is very interesting that we we got this network via yeah. KPC started. So that community manager Bea Klere, she's also your community manager right now. 
Yes, that's yeah. a very funny uh, coincidence. <laughs> yes, <laughs> nice coincidence. And Hilde, because you started, you were one of the first batches. Yes, we were in the first batch yeah. of the started and. Um, uh, actually, it was it was not known in the market. Started at KBC, it didn't have the name that it has now, or it was not that known. I think it was four four years ago, something like yeah, that, right? Yeah, 2014. Yeah, yeah, yes, indeed. So actually, I came across it by accident <laughs> in a mail somewhere or in a newsletter. I don't know it anymore, and I saw it and said, "Wow, that's interesting." We can get free offices in Antwerp. So that was actually my trigger to mm -hmm. say, okay, start it, free offices, nice. So we, we applied and uh, we got, we entered and we entered the program. And we were very surprised to find out that besides of the offices, which were, were, was interesting, there was a, a complete program behind it uh, where we could, uh, where we entered a network really interesting, where we got coaches, where we got interesting uh, workshops and so on. So that's, uh, that's, uh, yeah, we found out that it was much more interesting than yeah. just this. And that the power of the community really helps you and your startup to get to mm -hmm. yeah, a bit further. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 certainly. Yeah. Okay, very interesting. Um, so some questions of the community. Johan, I think we have already answered the first one. Um, it's one that comes up very often in uh, my monthly meetings that I have with startups. And I know that the other communities, community manager uh, have them as well, is how can I find skilled developers for my, for my startup? Yeah, I think so. What I said is look at the online communities. Um, but um, I would actually also... Uh, tell people to be a bit cautious. Uh, and um, um, we are not a typical startup because we are we started from a technology. And many startups, um, at least here, start with an idea. Um, and technology is just uh, an implementation detail. And I do agree, technology is in most cases not the most important uh, uh, thing. But technology can easily ruin your startup. So um, uh, if you... If you really depend on technology, then choose the best technology and um, choose the best people. Mm -hmm. And don't say, um, we're going to start with something cheap, easy, and later on we will do something uh, uh, better. Because typically you don't do that. You will stick with the cheap, easy solution forever and it will be extremely expensive. So um, therefore, if you consider technology as important to your uh, startup, then don't make a compromise on that technology and find the best people with the best technology. Yeah, very interesting. Um, Hilde, Idalco was also one of the first investments of the Started Fund. That's a fund that focuses on startups uh, from the Started at KBC community. How did you close the deal and what did you get out of it next to the funding? Okay. Um, well, you have to know that uh, Exalate, uh, well, we started um, in the beginning of the SADIT program only with an ID. Huh? Uh, and um, after the two years, we got a product. Now, the product was completely um, funded by ourselves. So we, we, we also have some consultancy and so on. So we could actually refund ourselves or invest ourselves in the, in the product uh, development. And um, we started to see our first sales also. But as I told you, we had the ambition to build a network uh, with this product, to build a network of millions of companies, or thousands or millions of companies. And to build a network, you have to go do it faster than just organically grow with the product. So instead of going very easy going uh, with this thing, we needed some extra funding. And that was just the timing when KBC funding uh, uh, started. Started fund. Uh, the started fund uh, was a, a given fact. <laughs> so we, we applied for the for the deal. Of course, what is important in there, in if, if you want to close a deal like that, uh, you have to show the people that you really know what you're doing that you really know what your what your product is, what your market is, and that you also know know the figures a little bit. So a real rigid business plan is something that is really needed. And that that's where it also starts. Second thing, we just talked very freely how we needed the money. Huh? We needed the money for sales and market marketing basically for business development. And that's where they started to to be interested and then of course yeah the negotiations start on the 
on the numbers of shares and uh, on the contracts we have to do. And then, um, yeah, it's, it still took some time uh, to, to finish the contracts, but probably because it was the first, uh, the first funding that we did. And we really wanted to make sure that it was correct. Mm -hmm. We didn't go over it very fast. No, the, the, the terms and conditions needed to be correct. And that is something anyway, anything which has to do with legal and contracts, always do it correct to not compromise on something very fast and, and, and so on. Uh, what did we get out of it uh, apart from the money, <laughs> which is uh, interesting? KBC, one of the, uh, KBC, one guy from KBC Securities is in our um, in our board, and that's always interesting. It's always interesting to have someone externally have a view on your uh, on your business. Meanwhile, they also know the product, uh, they know what it is for and so on. But it's always an external view on the business. That's first thing. And secondly, because of those very formal board meetings, it keeps us focused and it keeps us awake on following our business plan, for example. So, yes, I mean, um, I, I think is, we did a very good deal. Yeah. In, and it's not only funding that you get, but uh, uh, yeah, we get a lot of stuff that is also very valuable yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah. so one last community question for the both of you what excites you about tech and how can we get more people uh, excited about it and for me especially what i would like to know is girls how can we get more girls in tech because it's a serious mm -hmm. issue actually we need more people in tech in general <laughs> but how um, can we get more girls in tech because i think there's still a a lot of potential that is untapped at the moment. Well, let me say something controversial. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we need more people in tech, to be honest. Mm. That is uh, pretty controversial, I realize it, but we need great people uh, uh, in tech. Um, as I said before, too many projects fail um, because of wrong technology. technology and uh, I think we'd rather have less projects, but with great technology, with great people, than at this moment, everyone uh, every single uh, person, company needs to have an app, needs to have a backend and so And I don't think that is always needed. We should ask ourselves, uh, I mean, we, we in the digital age, that's very true. Um, but we should be careful not to over-digitalize. And that may sound strange from someone who, who is working on a digital revolution. But uh, um, I think quality, privacy, security are more important than quantity. Mm -hmm. So therefore... Um, I, uh, I really encourage everyone to work in technology and in IT and in science, but only if you really want to do it, not just because oh, there are lots of jobs afterwards. I think the, the, the question about uh, um, uh, e uh, gender equality is, is very important. I'm one of the uh, co-organizers of the DevOps conference in uh, Belgium. We have, uh, I think, 3,500 developers every year uh, in Antwerp. Only about 10% are female. That's a shame. Now there's also DevOps in Morocco, um, where about 35% are female. Wow, that's super interesting. So they, they seem to manage to get more girls to the to the conference there. And it's 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 I really like it there because you have different cultures. Uh, uh, um, just going there, it's much more open than than here. Um, I don't um, I don't completely understand why we have um, those numbers. But what I do see is that uh, in science, and then I'm talking about data sciences, AI, quantum computing, they are, um, the percent of females working there is higher than in IT. Uh, and I think in IT, it's often, and that's maybe why I said we don't need more people in tech. In IT, um, even if you're very bad, but if you can explain it very well, you can, you can get a good job. And in science, it really matters what you, what you do. So my advice would be, just do what you're good at and do that and, and, and show it. And then talent will always be recognized. Mm -hmm. And I think in science, and I see a positive evolution with more um, AI, more quantum computing, more respect for privacy and security. I hope that we're going the right way. Yeah. So you see more diversity arising uh, because those areas are arising as well. Do you feel that, that the diversity and backgrounds um, adds, um, how do I say it, give more? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Diversity in general, not only female, male, mm -hmm. but diversity in general is something that we really need because there are so many um, uh, civilization issues, uh, so many problems uh, that are 
ethical and that software developers are actually creating or solving, we don't know. And if it's only the white male, 25 to 35, who is deciding this, then that is extremely dangerous. So we need much more diversity in those uh, jobs. Yeah, okay, Hilda, what do you think about this subject? Well, I, uh, me, myself, I'm, I'm also, uh, I love science, <laughs> I love math. <laughs> and so I, I, I grew up in it and uh, I had a chance to study IT. So I, I was really enthusiastic about uh, uh, the studies. But I do see, I've always been one of the 10%, in the 10% of, of people when you're in a room, uh, it's, it's only even not 10% sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> in the room. So I don't know why, why girls still today um, um, are not attracted by, by an IT uh, kind of job. And is it because they are afraid because it's like a boys club thing uh, and they don't want to get involved? Maybe it's related to the gaming thing and so on, which is more or less typically boys are doing. Um, so I don't have a, a real solution, but it's interesting to know that indeed in, in other countries, especially like Morocco, but I, I can also think of India and, and Malaysia, Malaysia, and, Malaysia. Malaysia. Yeah. Um, and it probably has to do with studies over there. Yeah? So that they, they found a way to make girls boys also, but girls particularly, enthusiastic about following these kind of studies. Because in the end, it's not all about tech anyway. We also need people to translate the tech to the to the business as well. Um, uh, meaning that in the end, there's a lot of opportunities um, and opportunities not being like you have a job, but there's a lot of different kind of opportunities you can do. IT is in all kind of sectors. So to have so an impact on society, you, you can have an impact, a real impact on yeah. society when you, it's the human face of IT actually. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. 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 So I do think that we have to start at the beginning It's in uh, with educating our children, with um, making them enthusiastic about uh, tech. So at least that they also choose a tech or a science uh, area whenever they have the capabilities for it or whenever they have the, the, skills, the feeling yeah. to do it. And um, yeah, again, an inspiring conversation. Thank you, Hilde and Johan, for joining us. And a big thank you to our listeners. If you have a question for the Started at KBC community that you want answered, post it in the comments and we might ask it to our guests in our next episode. Started at KBC podcast. This podcast is made possible thanks to our strategic partners, KBC, Telenet, the Kronos Group, Accenture, Mobile Vikings, Flanders DC, Join, IMAC and the University of Antwerp.